This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I think sometimes, especially in true crime and, you know, as, as someone who consumes a lot of true crime, you want to hate the people that, that you hear about. You want to hate the people that do these terrible things and you want to be able to, to put them in columns of good and evil. And unfortunately, the world doesn't work like that. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick, and I am sitting closer than ever to Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. Welcome home, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Do you feel good to be home? I didn't want to go home, personally. (laughs) I really didn't. I I had the best um, six weeks of my life. Like, there were a couple obstacles, but it was like my, it was my dream, Truly, like I got to do something that I've been trying to do for five years. I really didn't want it to end. I'm in full depression mode, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. We need to we need to get together and just have a few dozen drinks. You're the only one. I mean, I I missed you so much, Jack, and I missed Jared too. So I was so happy. I'm so happy to get home to you guys. Um, but other than you know, just for my day to day, I just loved being there. I miss my friends. So that's pretty much it. I didn't miss Los Angeles. That's for sure. Absolutely not. Billy, how do you feel? Yeah, about the same. You know, the work was so great and it was so important and we got so many things. I know we can't talk about it yet. And I know this is a bit of a tease, but we really did get so many things that seemed impossible at the time. And Mm -hmm. uh, just working together, we had an amazing crew there and you develop these great relationships with people. Um, It's very much of a Foxhole mentality when you're with uh, this crew and you're all trying to do the same thing and, you know, eating a lot of New York pizza and New York bagels. And Mm. it was a really, it was just a really, really great solid time. So um, I'm in that sort of post-show depression as well, because I don't think we'll ever have an experience unless we're going and shooting a a damn Marvel movie or something where we're going to (laughs) be out for six weeks. You know, we did that because of COVID. Yeah, and we like live together like a team. It's like that doesn't happen. They don't make adults do that like summer camp. No. They just don't. No. So it yeah, really yeah. was this like taste of being at 
boarding school or something again, where it's like you're also with like people who are supposed to be keeping you on track. So you're also like sneaking around like, should I have this ice cream bar? Should I not? It belongs <laughs> to someone else. I'm going to eat it anyway. Like it's a whole emotional process. Oh, well, that's a very youthful, fun experience. I'm glad you guys had it. I can't wait to see what comes of all of your hard work, but I will wait with everybody else. All right. Well, Billy, what day is it today? It's back to the future day. Ooh. Yes. And it's observed annually on October 21st because that is what they entered into the computer. It was October 21st, 2015. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Then they went back uh, to the future. That was the future date for. So it is back to the future day. They are so lucky they didn't do Back to the Future into 2020. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah, they would have been like, we're we're done. (laughs) Let's go back. (laughs) Fuck this. Let's go. Yeah, let's go back to that weird, that (laughs) that weird, you know, uh, plot of a guy that goes back to the future and and as John Mulaney recounts and tries to um, sleep with his mom, basically. That is true. Yeah. So there you go. Do we have any other good days or is that is that a one and done? There are so many days and there's so many strange days. It goes from hagfish day. Ew. Yes. And eel like fish with no bones to National Pumpkin Cheesecake Day. Yes. Reptile Awareness Day. Mm. You know, there's just a lot of them. I would say the one that you might appreciate the most is International Day of the Nacho. Ooh. I'm sad that it's so late in the day now that we're recording because I would have loved to celebrate this day with a big nacho. Yeah. I love the fact that it's not Nacho Day. It's International Day of the Nacho. That's right. It makes it seem fancy. Very dramatic. Yes. Very dramatic. I love some nachos. I know. We need to eat some nachos another day. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. start today's episode by telling you that I was never baptized. In fact, I've been to church fewer times than I can count on one hand for funerals and for weddings. But in exploring today's case, we will also deconstruct aspects of some fundamental themes in religious teachings. In Christianity, the Lord's Prayer tells us, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But do those trespasses include murder? Well, most scholars say yes. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world as to give his only begotten Son. The death of Jesus laid the groundwork for forgiveness. Peter told those who crucified Christ, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It could be argued that redemption and forgiveness are two of the central themes and lessons of the Bible. But it could certainly be argued that in the wake of murder, redemption and forgiveness are perhaps the two most difficult lessons to put into practice. 
So today's case takes us back to September 12th of 1990. John Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory, Janet Jackson's Come Back to Me, and Mariah Carey's Vision of Love were topping the charts. And movies in the theaters were Goodfellas and Death Warrant. And the setting for today's case is Colorado Springs, Colorado, which boasts a view of the Rocky Mountains to the west of the city. This place is also one of the most active lightning strike areas in the United States. In fact, Nikola Tesla selected the city to build his lab and study electricity. It's the home of NORAD, which is where war games took place, and it's also the home now of Paul Holes. And today's case begins with the intersection of two lives, that of Diane Moore and Brian Hood. This couple met in high school, and the story unfolded as the quintessential high school sweetheart relationship that turned into marriage. In high school, Brian played football, and cheering him on from the sidelines was Diane, pom-poms in hand and bouncy as ever as a cheerleader. And after high school, the sweethearts got married. Brian worked as a relatively successful insurance agent. They had one child, and then two children. And then the Hood family attended services together regularly at the Fellowship Bible Church Congregation. In 1988, the couple learned that they were pregnant with their third child. Diane delivered a healthy baby boy, but in the year following, she felt her energy start to fade. And after seeing a doctor, she learned that she had a disease called lupus. So according to the Mayo Clinic, lupus is a systemic autoimmune disease that occurs when your body's immune system attacks your own tissues and organs. Inflammation caused by lupus can affect many different bodily symptoms, including your joints, skin, kidneys, blood cells, brain, heart, and lungs. But luckily, in Diane's case, her prognosis was very good. Her case was a mild one, very manageable, and with treatment, she would go on to live many years to come. Right. And now that Diane had an official diagnosis, she craved support from women who are going through the same thing that she was. So she joined a lupus support group, and that consisted of weekly meetings held at the Otis Recreational Park in Colorado Springs. And she had one such meeting on September 12th of 1990. After the meeting concluded, Diane walked out of the building with her friend Karen, who was also in the support group with her. And as the women walked toward their cars, they were accosted by a masked assailant who robbed the women. Diane was cooperative. She handed everything over. And after doing so, she started to flee. And even though she had given up everything that she had on her, the man in the mask shot her from behind, hitting her on the shoulder. Diane fell to the ground. The assailant stood over her as she begged for her life. And he then pointed his gun and shot Diane straight in the chest. Diane's friend Karen was able to escape, and she ran back inside and screamed for help. Another member of the support group named Sarah was a registered nurse, and she dashed outside in an attempt to render aid to Diane, who by now was gasping for breaths and clinging to life. Sarah began chest compressions, and soon EMTs arrived and took over. They rushed her to the hospital, hoping to save her life. But unfortunately, 32-year-old Diane had been pronounced dead on arrival. Not long after these shots were fired, a detective you may be familiar with arrived on the scene, and his name was Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Joe Kenda would go on to have a successful career recounting his stories of being a homicide detective on his own TV show. But back in 1990, he was really living it, and he was working as a lieutenant homicide investigator for the Colorado Springs Police Department. When he arrived, he was briefed on the broad strokes of this case. A mother and a housewife named Diane Hood had been gunned down after leaving her lupus support group meeting. Lieutenant Kenda immediately started absorbing the scene. 
There were witnesses who were shocked and crying standing on the perimeter. The victim, Diane, had already been rushed to the hospital, leaving behind a pool of blood on the pavement. And at first glance, and based on what those who witnessed this crime conveyed to Lieutenant Kenda, this sounded like a robbery gone wrong. And police interviewed Diane's friend, Karen, first. Karen said that as the women were walking to their cars, they heard footsteps behind them. When they looked back, they saw a person dressed in black and wearing a black ski mask. When the assailant demanded the women's purses, neither resisted. Diane handed her purse over and then started to run away, and she was shot twice. And when Karen was pressed to describe the shooter, all she could recall on the heels of the chaos was that the shooter appeared shorter than she was. Right, and Karen was just your average height, no taller than 5'7". So we're looking for a suspect that's shorter. Detectives canvassed the area to see if any other evidence could be gleaned from the scene. And they brought in a canine sniffer dog to see if it could catch the killer's trail and pick it up. And within the immediate proximity of the scene, the dog got nothing. But that changed about a mile away when the dog led the handlers to the foot of a trash can. And the dog sat down, which is the signal. There's something belonging to the shooter inside or near this trash can. So the detectives opened up the trash can and there was a jacket, a pair of gloves, a pair of camouflage pants, and a black ski mask. A mask just like the one Karen had described the shooter was wearing. And these were the clothing items that witnesses and Karen had described to the police. They had to have been thrown away by Diane's killer. The items located inside this trash can were sent to the police lab for processing. The canine dog eventually lost the scent of the shooter because this person most likely got into a car and drove away, which meant that their only promising lead had just hit a dead end. And at this point, police knew little about their victim, you know, just what they had heard from those who knew her at the scene. Her name was Diane Hood. She was 32 years old. She had three children and was married to a man named Brian. But what else? Detectives wanted to know everything about Diane, but like always, they wanted to start with her husband. And we know that when police officers are looking to track down the family of murder victims, they are bracing themselves for two things. First, the emotionally daunting task of informing a husband and children that they'll never see their wife and mother again. And the second thing that they're mentally prepared for is to try to get a read on their reactions. And many police officers will tell you that they can learn a lot from how loved ones react to this kind of news. Even in cases like these that appear to be a random act of violence, there's still a lot to be learned in these interactions. At this point, detectives at the Colorado Springs Police Department, they decide to divide and conquer. They'll locate Diane's family and also canvas the neighborhood simultaneously. And those who search the proximity to the scene knock on every door close by to see if anyone witnessed anything of note. Now, at first there was nothing, but then one detective encountered a woman who, after hearing what happened, said that the police should look at a man who lived close by. His name was David Burns. And apparently, this guy, Dave, had a nickname. And it was a glaring one. His nickname was Homicidal Dave. Dave apparently wore camouflage, similar to that of the shooter. It turned out that Dave was also a veteran of the Gulf War. He had a sort of agitated personality, and he tried to instigate fights with people. 
And he also knew how to handle a weapon due to his military training. People in the community believed this guy was dangerous. Okay, so this is definitely an interesting lead that police are going to want to check out. Meanwhile, detectives had located Diane's husband, 32-year-old Brian Hood. He was distraught at the news, at the unfairness that his wife, due to the cosmic shuffling of the deck, had crossed paths with someone who intended to not only rob her, but to kill Diane. So as we know, during a homicide investigation, the police look at every aspect of a victim's life. And let me tell you, Diane's life didn't raise any red flags, and I mean any. She was a super mom to three kids. She kept a perfect home, and she was very devout in her faith, and she loved her husband. And as far as the police could tell, Brian's life had the same pristine appearance. Brian was extremely well-liked by his neighbors and coworkers, but how much people like Brian didn't matter to Kenda or to the rest of the detectives because Brian's physical stature eliminated him as a shooter because he was relatively tall. And remember, Karen, who witnessed the shooting, was sure this shooter was on the shorter side. And in the meantime, Kenda had cleared their initial person of interest, homicidal Dave, because as it turns out, he had an airtight alibi and he too was too tall to be the assailant. But Kenda and the rest of those investigating had new evidence to keep them occupied. Diane's autopsy had been completed and two 45 caliber bullet casings were recovered from Diane Hood's body. They were then sent to ballistics. And the result of the ballistics testing proved to be very interesting. It turned out that these shell casings had come from a very rare and valuable gun, a Colt pacemaker patent 1872 single-action army revolver, which was an antique cowboy gun. And this is a huge limiting factor because this rare gun was worth thousands of dollars. And it's also a gun that, given its antique nature, wouldn't necessarily be registered. It's more so the type of gun that would be passed down through generations. Okay, this is weird. Let's look at what they've got at this point. And you know Joe Kenda would probably be asking himself whether a career robber, someone who would commit an armed robbery, and who would kill a woman in cold blood over her purse, would this type of person use an antique cowboy gun to commit a random homicide? Probably not. And it's with this kind of thinking that Kenda and the rest of the investigators, they start shifting their focus. Maybe this wasn't a robbery after all. Maybe this was a hit. So following the ballistic results, additional testing had been completed on the items disposed of in the trash can a mile from where Diane had been murdered. The crime lab had identified a brown hair in the ski mask that had been worn by the shooter. They also found traces of gunshot residue on the gloves that had been tossed. Remember, this happened in 1990. So what they gleaned from the evidence is that their shooter is likely a brunette, as well as confirmation that these were, in fact, the gloves worn by the shooter. And not much else, because it's 1990 and time is of the essence. And even to do DNA would take how long back in 1990 to process a DNA sample or something like that? Months probably. So for the investigators at this point, it is time to regroup. They were rethinking this entire random robbery and shooting theory, and they decided to revisit the notion of Diane's husband, Brian Hood, as a possible suspect or or someone who knew more than he was letting on. But there was a problem with Brian, and that was the fact that Brian had an alibi for the night Diane was killed. He was also short, too tall to be the shooter, according to witnesses. However, 
with no other leads to follow, they decide to look into him anyway. So Kenda and the investigators recalled the interview with Brian and, and they thought back to something he said during his initial questioning on the night that Diane was killed. And when he was just answering some general questions about his life and the life he shared with his wife, he mentioned in passing that in recent months, Brian had become obsessed, obsessed with working out. He was on a huge workout kick, obsessed with bulking up and getting shredded. So he went to the gym daily for hours at a time. So acting on a hunch, the police wonder, okay, if he's spending so much time at the gym, maybe we should go check this out. They go to the gym where he works out. They did some poking around. They spoke with some employees. And it turned out that Brian at the gym would spend time with a woman named Jennifer for all these hours. So the gym employees didn't know much about this Jennifer. Other than that, she worked at a flower shop that was down the street, which is why she ended up working out at this gym. So the detectives went there and learned that this Jennifer person was a 28-year-old named Jenny Reilly. All right, so this is really interesting. This is a possible affair, or maybe it's just just a personal trainer. Who knows? TBD. But definitely uh, interesting development. Right. And the first thing they want to know is who is Jennifer and what is her connection to Brian? And it turned out that Jennifer was a gorgeous college graduate and a born-again Christian. And you guessed it, she's married. And not just to any old Joe Schmo, she was the wife of an army captain, and they had two daughters together. And the detectives had a hunch that Jennifer and Brian were probably having an affair, but they would need to confirm that. But even if they were having an affair, a background check they conducted on Jennifer revealed that the young mom had never been in trouble with the law before, not even once. So they had doubts that Jennifer could have been the one to stand over a dying Diane who was begging for her life before fatally shooting her. So as the detectives left the flower shop where Jennifer had worked, they decided to shift their focus to Jennifer's husband, intelligence investigator and army captain named Benjamin Reilly. And here's why. The shop owner mentioned something, a little throwaway comment again that he had no idea the significance of, but he said that he really liked Jennifer's husband, Ben. And why was that? Well, it's because he and Ben had something in common. They both collected antique guns. So this development is a really big one, and it prompts a number of questions for the investigators to answer. The antique gun used in the murder of Diane was this one of Ben's guns? What about motive? Would Ben have killed Diane Hood out of revenge for Brian sleeping with Jennifer? Or was it possible that Jennifer was really the one who killed Diane? Or did they do it together? When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words then phrases and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Ben Reale worked at Fort Carson as a criminal investigator for the U.S. Army. So when examining Ben, there are two things that make him look good for this. As a soldier... He would be an expert in firearms. He would know what to do. And as an investigator, he would know how to get away with it. And to boot, the clothing recovered in the trash can near the crime scene was military garb. Was it Ben's? And there was more. Ben wasn't a tall guy. So in theory, Ben really could be the person who murdered Diane Hood. So of course, the detectives are thinking, we're going to want to talk to Ben. Right away. So the investigators paid Ben a visit at work on the base and basically surprised him. And Ben immediately went on the defensive. Remember, Ben is a successful military man, an army captain and an intelligence investigator. It looks none too good for someone in his position to be questioned, let alone looked at seriously as a murder suspect. So when asked, Ben copped to owning several antique guns. And when he was asked specifically whether he owned a Colt 45 pacemaker, the kind of gun that killed Diane Hood, he admitted that yes, he did. They also asked if he knew where his gun was, if it was home. And he believed he was still in possession of this gun. 
So when they asked Ben if they could have his gun for testing, he was confused, but he was not particularly defensive or defiant about handing this gun over. So he did. So first, the gun was tested for prints and there were none. So police parted ways with Ben as more tests on the gun were conducted. It wasn't long before the police called Ben back to the Colorado Springs Police Department for more questioning. And once they were sitting across from Ben, they told him that his gun was a dead match for the shell casings taken from Diane's body. But Ben denied killing Diane. Ben was then asked to look at pictures of the clothing that investigators found in the trash can near the scene. He said he didn't recognize the clothing. The detectives kept pushing. They broke him down and they reminded him of the military career he may be throwing away if he was proved to be lying to them. Ben finally caved and confessed that yes, those clothing items, those were his. But the next things that Ben said were of particular interest to the detectives. Ben said that yes, the clothes were his, but the last time he had seen the things was more than three weeks ago because he had actually been living on the base. Ben continued and said that weeks ago, his wife Jenny asked him if she could hold the antique gun in question. Then she told her husband that she wanted to shoot the gun, so he took her to a shooting range to practice. And during this whole thing, Ben seemed really sincere, and he was shocked and mortified and, frankly, really sad. And he seemed innocent. And beyond that, he seemed extremely believable. And it was starting to become clear that Ben was unlikely in on this whole murder conspiracy. And on top of that, he was also showing visible signs of being extremely heartbroken about the fact that his wife, Jenny, was not only cheating on him, but maybe a murderer, too. But Jenny didn't fit the traditional mold for a cold-blooded killer. But regardless, the police needed to sit down with her and sort everything out. Once they tracked Jenny down, she was interrogated for hours but she staunchly denied any involvement in Diane's murder. And while they still didn't have a confession, based on the evidence, police felt that they had enough to arrest Jenny for Diane's murder. Once Jenny was in custody, they attempted a second interrogation. And Jenny continued to deny any involvement. She claimed that the gun must have been stolen, which really was ludicrous because it was put back where Ben usually kept it. And eventually, after attempting every excuse imaginable, Jenny finally buckled under the pressure. She confessed to everything. She confessed to the affair, which started after Jenny met Brian in the jacuzzi of the gym where they both worked out. She confessed that the relationship became sexual two months later, when they had sex at Jenny's home when her husband was staying on the military base. She confessed that they met up frequently for romps in their cars, in their Jeep Cherokee. And as their relationship became more intense, that Hood started expressing displeasures with his marriage. Things escalated from there. They began planning the slaying, making it look like a robbery gone wrong, ultimately killing Diane. And that she had killed Diane at the wishes of Diane's husband, Brian. What would ultimately happen is that media coverage of the story would explode. Diane Slaying combined with the lurid details of Jenny and Brian's affair would earn Jenny the title of Colorado Springs Fatal Attraction Killer. A name which stemmed from a character played by Glenn Close from the 1987 thriller titled Fatal Attraction. And in that movie, Glenn Close's character followed the jealous lover turned killer narrative. But back to Jenny. 
As it is with most murderers who are caught, Jenny would end up in prison with a lengthy sentence to serve. And ironically, normally where our story would end, it's actually where our first degree story begins. And here's our first degree, Allie. I've been going to the same church since I was a little kid. And when we got a new pastor seven or eight years ago, one of her previous experiences was being the chaplain at the Denver Women's Correctional Center. And so that's how she met Jenny. And she worked a lot with Jenny while she was in prison. Following Jenny's arrest and media circus of a trial, Jennifer really was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. She was sentenced to life in prison, but it was commuted in 2011, making Jennifer really eligible for parole. In fact, here's audio from her 2014 parole hearing, which was ultimately denied, by the way. In 1990, I got involved with uh, someone who was not my husband. Um, It was a fairly, well, unhealthy relationship. Of course, it's an affair, so it would be this. Throughout the summer, my uh, co-defendant was um, complaining about his wife and how he wanted her um, to to die, and and I thought he was just venting. Eventually, he believed that I was the person that was supposed to um, kill his wife, and um, I ended up believing that if it was supposed to happen, it would happen, and that I ended up being the person to do so. So the plan was to um, confront her outside of a support group meeting, and and I did, and um, and as she ran, I shot her, and then I shot her a second time, um, and then I left. Jennifer really was presented opportunities for parole in 2015 and 2016, but because she was still considered a risk by the court, she was only granted supervised parole. She would come to our church and actually work with my mom, who plays the guitar, and she recorded a CD of songs. And they were songs that were about God, but were also about Redemption. Redemption. A very polarizing topic when reflecting on the magnitude of taking a life like the one stolen from Diane Hood, which begs the question, is there such a thing? And can there ever be a clear answer? She wrote a lot of songs about Diane, who is the victim, and about her remorse for what she did. So that was kind of how I first came into knowing Jenny. But she got very involved with our church, and she would come to our church services while she was on this ISP. She would, you know, participate with the choir or sing special songs during certain services. And that was really how I got to know her. My first impression was that she was a really, really sweet, nice woman. I was actually helping out while our church secretary was on vacation. So I was working in the office and my mom and her were working down the hall and I heard her singing and she had a really lovely singing voice. And I didn't really hear the content of the songs at the time, but she just was really nice. 
And Allie's description of Jenny being very sweet and incredibly nice wasn't uncommon. If you look at the old articles, there's dozens of quotes from neighbors, friends, and family members who are dumbfounded at Jenny's involvement in such a horrific crime. So we asked Allie if she knew about Jenny's crimes prior to meeting her. I had no knowledge whatsoever. It was really someone offhandedly mentioned. And then I got really curious and, you know, I really love true crime. And so I was like, oh, I got to go do my digging and find out everything. From the articles that I read, she, she was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole at the time. And I think it just really blew my mind because as an, a teenager and young adult, I had watched a lot of like Snapped and, and other true crime shows. And, you know, they always talk about, oh, it's just a perfect idyllic life. And then, and then they just snapped and they, they did what they did. They killed someone. And it just didn't seem real that I could put together someone who I, who I found so nice and sweet and charming to be the same kind of person who would do something like that. So it was really hard to kind of reconcile those two different personalities that I, I saw. To echo Allie's words, how did someone so charming and sweet end up being dubbed the fatal attraction killer? How did she stand over Diane and shoot her in the chest? Those who are close to the case or familiar with this case generally belong to one of two schools of thought about this murder. The first belief system is that Jenny, in a fit of violent rage, murdered her lover's wife in cold blood so that she could have him. Then there's the other side. The other side believes that Jenny, who as a reminder was deeply religious and unhappy in her marriage, was so naive and so impressionable that she was able to be manipulated by Brian Hood, who used the Bible and scripture to play on the 28-year-old's weaknesses. The truth is, Only Jenny Reilly herself and a few individuals she confided in know the truth about how Jenny came to destroy her life while taking the life of loving mother Diane Hood down with her. And luckily for us, Allie is one of those people. As I got to know her, she was actually very open and willing to talk about her crime, which I also find very interesting because I think a lot of times you would expect someone to not want to talk about something like that. In 2011, Vincent Carroll for the Denver Post wrote the following, quote, This is how a witness to Jennifer Reilly's crime recalled its climax outside a community center in Colorado Springs. I saw her eyes, Karen Johnson said, and they were dark eyes and full of hate. She walked over to where Diane was lying. Diane was begging for her life, and she took very careful aim and shot her again. In the same article in stark contrast, Vincent Carroll wrote how the judge who presided over Jennifer Reilly's trial said aloud in court, quote, had you not been involved with Brian Hood, I doubt you would have even ever committed anything worse than a traffic violation. Vincent Carroll continued, quote, chivalry reigns even when murder most foul occurs. The observation may be tragically true, but so what? Every life has a turning point and most of them occur by chance. Many of us never face the temptation of a monstrous evil, but many others do, and they somehow overcome it. So those of you listening, what do you believe? In next week's episode, with Allie's continued help as she walks us through her personal experience with Jennifer Reilly, we'll task you to decide for yourselves. Can the power 
of remorse and redemption even begin to chip away of the magnitude that the wrongdoing of murder presents. Well, huge thank you to Allie, and she'll be with us next week to help us conclude this two-part episode on Diane Hood and Jennifer Reilly, the fatal attraction killer. And if you're listening out there and you have a story you would like to tell, please write us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. While you're at it, you can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We're talking true crime all the time and stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not, but not that close. That one sounded cigar. good to me. Oh, that was good. Okay, great. <laughs> me, it probably wasn't. It's delayed. Back to the day. Back to Woo! the future. Pumpkin cheesecake. Okay, shout out to our team, Jared Monaco, for his epic sound design, who creates all of our original music for The First Degree. Our podcast producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Research sources for this episode includes the Denver Post, the Denver Gazette, AP News, the Denver Channel, KKTV, People, Court Documents. And remember, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. The gang is almost all back together. We're on the same coast. Yes. We're in we're in Los Angeles County, which is a, a drastic improvement from where we were last week as a far drastic. as proximity. I mean, we're on the same uh time zone, which is nice. So now we're not getting any like later early texts. I'm glad yeah. to have you guys back. I'm glad you made it back in one piece. If there was an apocalypse, we could find all each other and then be able to work through it together as opposed to being 3000 miles away. Except for I don't even know where you live, Billy. You're very, your, your living situation is elusive to me. I have no it, idea. It is. And I like to keep it that way. Let's just say <laughs> I, know where I can lives. see Hogwarts from my house and that's it. I just, I like envision you just living in like a basement somewhere with no windows. 
close. It's not quite that, but yeah. Almost. I mean, that's more my soul. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yes. Okay. So for this week's Killing Time, I thought that we could have a, a little bit of like a Halloween talk because people love a Halloween candy. And I thought we could dive into some deeper topics. But the first thing that I wanted to talk about, it's so funny what our listeners latch on to. And from last week's episode, so many of our listeners wrote in about Billy's comment about Lubbock, Texas, and its distance to Dallas. <laughs> oh, people! Did were you guys outraged. see this on the Facebook comments? People were outraged. And what I wanted to say is, like, I loved our first degree Bryce, but he's the one who who told me the whole thing about Odessa in that high school that's portrayed in Friday Night Lights being fifteen minutes away or whatever. So, yeah. People like condemn me for not doing research, but I took the word of the person from there. And the other thing, <laughs> um, I can't really explain the other thing without pointing a finger at someone else, which I refuse to do. So I will be accountable. Um, I've made so many worse mistakes. I, I'll, this feels good being criticized <laughs> for this one. No, but I, I it, like it. It's like, just so it distracts from my bigger mistakes that I'm constantly making. Yeah, you're like, this is nothing. I'll do a hundred million more of these. Oh, this felt great. I was like, oh, when I see like a barrage of like tags on Facebook, I'm like, shoot, who did I offend? <laughs> like, what did I put someone out of business? Like, what have I done? Who died. Like, oh, I just look stupid. Fine. Well, it wasn't like, even no you. one gets hurt. It, well, it was Billy looking stupid because he was the one that said it. Yeah, but everybody knows Billy doesn't write these things. <laughs> I'm just hired help. They just bring me in here. They brought me up. They give He's me a drink. He's just here for the um, the um, the pop culture references that we don't understand. Yeah, it's pop pop culture references from the early 1900s. That's what he's here to provide. No, you're like the underdog. Every podcast needs one, and people have to. I need to get DMs of people defending you to me. Yeah. about about how mean I am. So and, that's what you're here for. And my, my pop culture references from the early 1900s. I appreciate that. May I, may I talk about my Model T and my butter churn and laugh about it? Because I know what the, those are. That's not, that's just history class. A butter I churn? I feel like that's from before the 1900s. You know what? We were still butter song. churning in the early 1900s. Okay. What I'd want to know is who had, had the hit song during the Model T release. And I what kind of know. jacket was Henry Ford wearing with brand? <laughs> that would impress me. That would impress you. I will look that up then. I feel like this th this is a kind of nugget of knowledge that you would know, Billy. So I'm a little bit disappointed. Mm, I was just, I'm not a Ford guy. I'm more of a Chevy guy. Okay. Okay. Well, you drive a Lexus, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Poser. Okay. So um, before we started the podcast, we we're kind of talking about spooky shows and have we all watched The Haunting of Bly Manor? Yes. Have you watched yes. it, Billy? Yes. Good. So this is like such a good spooky watch. And while we were watching it, I Jared and I don't really watch spooky movies or shows. I'm not a spooky show watcher, but you know, I'm trying to get festive, especially because there's nothing to fucking do right now. He gets very freaked out by spook. Mm. You didn't. What like were that the spook, moments? That, I mean, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, have any spoilers, spoil but honestly, that show is too complicated to spoil. You'd be like, "Oh, the person's a ghost," and it'd be like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> "Like you cannot." Even if you're like at the last episode, you can't spoil it because it's just 
so like they're throwing so everything against the wall and convoluted. Yeah, I don't know. So I watched multiple episodes multiple times to be like, am I understanding this right? Yeah. Well, we you, had to do the we had to do the jump on Reddit like we used to do for Lost, where it's like, please, ex- or like Game of Thrones that you used to do. It's like, please explain what the hell I just watched. No, we I literally it, watched each episode three times, and it was almost like we were in that scene with the cook where he's talking about he has to chop the vegetables yep. and the chef and everything. We and were in like, that scene. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was like, are we in his memories or her memories? And then we were like, w- then with Henry, like, I'm like, oh, is he talking to himself or to a ghost or to his conscience? Oh. Or, or to his brother who looks like him has come back as him so he can look. Because Dominic made some comment like, you have to look at, live with yourself. I think that's what he said. He's like, you got to live with yourself now. And I think that it was a play on that. But it could have been his brother embodied in him. Like, there's no way to know. But I I really loved it. It was like the most beautiful show I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, I what spooked you, Jared? What spooks you? I just don't like jump scares at all of any kind. <laughs> I don't do well with jump scares. So like if something, he, you know, and you can always tell when there's going to be a jump scare. So Jared gets very like recoiled and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, no, I think you're totally right. The show was actually like totally beautiful. I loved all like the entire theme of it was incredible. It was just a little spooky. Yeah. And you know what I learned is like the only thing scarier than a scary face is fucking no face. Oh like, yeah. I was like paint paint me paint me horrified with like you can imagine what horrible face is on there but like the blank canvas is a lot scarier than in being on the nose with stuff. Well cuz it's always the idea of something is so much scarier than it actually is. We were actually talking about this exact same thing about how when movies end up showing the monster or whatever, it ends up being such a letdown and you're like, "Oh, well that was it." Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, it's usually because the graphics are really bad. <laughs> they can't well, even make still, it as it's scary like, as they want with technology. You know, once you see, you know, that's a reason why you don't see the shark for the first half of the movie in Jaws, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, not to bring it back around to true crime, but that's what Michelle said about the Golden State Killer and Michelle McNamara. She said, like, you'll you'll lose your power once we see your face. And it's true. Once you saw him, you know, there was You're a like, lot less old fuck. Yeah, there was a lot less people writing about I have to lock my doors and do all that stuff. And it wasn't just because he was caught. It was because you saw his face and then you knew like, you know, what he looked like. Right. But in in a certain sense, I agree with her statement. Um, but I also think that his ordinariness and then you think about what he did is really terrifying for me because he looks more grandfatherly than most people's grandfathers so the idea that any wholesome guy with a kid on his knee at christmas could have done the things this guy did is scarier than never having seen his face because at least i could project some horrific gruesome ghastly person onto that well yeah you think of somebody like a richard ramirez or charles manson or like somebody that is like fucking terrifying looking and you're oh, like, yeah, like oh like, yeah, obviously a serial killer everyone. like that's like on the nose killer like dangerous yeah. person is like Richard Ramirez yeah. or Charles Manson and it's like Joe D'Anzo had friends who thought he was the best guy in the world he's got pictures he's got pictures holding fish <laughs> that like every guy on Tinder has by the way like from like a fishing expedition yeah like a Tinder picture 
Yeah. So it's like that's how or he's like an old man, basic bitch, and he's a serial yeah. killer. He's got pictures of him wearing a Simpsons t-shirt, like, oh. like circa 1990. Oh, look at Jared shaking his head. It's very blasphemous. Mm. Well, and you know, what if that's so weird? What if that Simpsons t-shirt ended up going to the Goodwill and some unsuspecting person ended up buying it? Like the weird connections that you could have to somebody and not ever know. You, you know what the weird thing Jeff about that 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 Simpsons T-shirt is? It's it's when Homer was 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 like a disciplinarian, and when he would like choke Bart and stuff mm-hmm. before he turned to like that sort of dreamer, dopey dreamer guy. You know what I mean? So he had he had Homer when Homer was like a bad guy, and I thought oh. that was really interesting. Yeah, like the angry Homer he had, which was just in the first like epi- two seasons. Or really? One and a half seasons, yeah. I don't even remember that from the beginning yeah. of The Simpsons. They have yeah. Probably, Ho- yeah, Homer's just yelling a lot in the beginning, and he's choking Bart, and he's just like he's just like a mean guy, and then he just An becomes like father. a dopey dreamer, and and you love him. But, Literally, yeah. wow, they probably really needed to make that switch. Um, yeah, so he needed to be just a wholesome alcoholic. Yeah, like nice. most people. <laughs> a wholesome, detached alcoholic. Yeah. Um, so in the light of like Halloween, spooky things, what is your guys' favorite Halloween film or the one that fucked you up the most? My favorite movie of all time is The Shining. So good. Classic. It's just cinematically so beautiful. I love old homes. I love rural isolation. Like it's like a house I grew up in. I just love it. I love it. I love Jack Nicholson. His acting's crazy. I love creepy little boys. It's a whole thing. Also, mine and Jared's best costume ever. Mm. Shining Twins. Oh, yeah. That was good. Mm -hmm. What about you, Billy? In terms of favorite horror movie, it would be Poltergeist. Yep. That's one of mine, too. Yeah. For a number of reasons, the best probably is that that movie was rated PG when it came out. It was? Yes. PG. Go ahead. Ooh. Come on. Come on in. PG. Yeah. One of the scariest movies of all time. What What would have... it was rated PG. What would make a movie... When did the Poltergeist, Poltergeist yeah. come out? Like probably like 80 or early 80s. So what would it... What would a rated R no movie idea. in the 80s if they, be? <laughs> yeah, if they would have thrown in the F word or throw in a boob, mm. they might have turned, made it R. There was no PG-13 at the time, but they said, you know what? This is fine for kids. The, you, uh, move, you move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. Yeah. The scene with him in the mirror with his face, when his face is like peeling off, that's poltergeist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that was the, one of the guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That mm. was great. And then the, yeah, Whatever, just the... Guys. the you, you know, the, the whole TV, when the TV has static on it, which was a thing that probably before your generation, but for my generation, and like, oh, that TV is going to be talking to you. It scared the hell out of everybody. Oh, I'm sure you're scared to ever like be in a room with a t- TV ever again. If it was going to like at, by yourself at <laughs> night, if it was going to like pop up. <laughs> well, and then the clown and the tree. I mean, there's there's a million moments, the, the swimming pool, everything. But what about you, Jack? Um, so Poltergeist and The Exorcist, I feel like are just classics. A movie that fucked me up other than Pet Cemetery fucked me up mm. when because there's a scene in Pet Cemetery where a little toddler like is at a park and just stumbles out into the, the road and gets run over by a semi truck. And I think mm-hmm. that is one of the most terrifying scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Um, that fucked me up. And then 
saw fucked scary movies for me for a very long time is really saw scary yeah because saw, yes. saw presented all of the things that you can all these painful scenarios that you can mm-hmm. picture yourself enduring yeah and it's like everyone's cringy like the the equivalent of like having your fingernail ripped out like you cringe thinking about it because of Dude, the sensitivity the guy, or of that area or whatever and the like one the, guy the that had to cringes. Yeah, the one guy that had to, I remember there was one scene that the guy had to cut off his own leg for something, like to free himself. And just, yeah, the scenarios that it's like, if you got stuck in that situation, it's like you would have to do it. And that is, it's like psychologically so fucked, like fucked up. Well, the movie that fucked me up, if that's the game we're playing, is Human Centipede. (laughs) Anyone else see that one? I've actually never seen it. Yeah, I saw that one. Oh, Jared's seen it. This is why I don't do bathroom humor. After you watch it, you'll understand. Well, I know Billy, the, have I you know seen the it? gist of it. Yes, I have seen it. You, and I really don't. It, you don't I, seem I really like you have. That's the reason why you, why you don't do bathroom humor. That, <laughs> I think there's other reasons for that. but um, Why? Like what? I mean, what? It, it's really because of human centipede? Because you're afraid that you will, you will get caught by a weird German guy and then he'll make you turn into a centipede with two other people? And your yeah. digestive tract no, will, will turn into that? It, no, it's, I'm very empathetic. I picture things that happen to people happening to me, even if it's physical, even if it's like some disgusting scenario. <laughs> so if that, I'm repulsed by talking about things like that. Like after that, that movie really messed me up. Mm-hmm. I was like smelling things for like months that weren't there. <laughs> I refuse to watch that movie. I feel like that crosses. I actually the line. think you should because I feel like you have a boyfriend that will like help you enjoy it. How? How? Just I trust me. <laughs> just trust me. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into what just went in my head. So I think <laughs> that we will call it. <laughs> okay. Time of death 15, 13. Beep. Beep. You want to beep, Billy? I said beep. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home.